Today on our show, we celebrate the end of 10 years of the MCU with the release of Endgame. Welcome to Panelism, the podcast where we talk about the comic books and graphic novels worth having on your shelf, and sometimes the movies based on those. I'm Todd A. And I am Taylor Trask. I don't know why I said, said it was You're, such drama. I was about to make up some name, I think, and it just I thought came. you were doing what I used to do, which was say my name with a question mark at the end of it. I'm Taylor Trask. Well, uh, I was, I'm, still, I'm still in Game of Thrones mode where I have like a rap name. As a as a lead in, so I'm I'm just like oh, I right, can't right, just right. Be simple old me. I have to yeah, have a, you, a Taylor Trask. Yeah, yeah just just <laughs> the inevitable Taylor Trask. How about that? Inevitable. I like perfect. Uh-huh. Um, as we have previewed a whole bunch on this and our Wednesday and Westeros podcast, uh, today we're talking about Avengers Endgame. Yes. Um, which uh, I. I wouldn't say I have copious notes on, but I have notes on, and I know you have notes on them, but I still feel like somehow we're winging it. I guess that's how it feels when there is a freaking three hour movie to discuss. Like there's no way to outline thoughts on that all. It's, it's huge. It's immense. Yeah. And, and we are not, I'm just, we're just going to like two big things right out of the gate. Number one, spoilers all the way around. Yeah. If you haven't heard or sorry, if you haven't seen it, um yet or if you you know you you care deeply about spoilers in any way shape or form uh please pause because we are we're not going to say it too much more after this everything basically henceforth possibly and probably will contain many many spoilers including the ending so just know that is coming very very quickly and secondly we're not going to do uh, a play-by-play no, no, no. Um, we're not going to go beat by beat or scene by scene so don't worry we're not going to recount the movie to you that's not you know we've it, You've seen it. It represents itself. I think we're going to focus more on some thematic things. Um, Obviously talk about what we liked and didn't like in terms of moments or scenes or characters or whatever, but there's a lot, you know, this is being, being the ending of kind of 10 years, just like with game of Thrones. We, you know, we're in the end game of that show too. So this movie, you know, another ending of an era, a lot of, uh, yeah, a heavy weekend for endings for sure think about think about how many kids you know were 10 years old when iron man came out and their entire formative crazy right they're 2021 now and so it's like their entire formative lives just like the kids who grew up with harry potter either the books the movies or both um you know when that series ended there was a lot of sort of like wow what my life what do i do now where do i go from here so like with both of these things ending probably more obviously the mcu a lot of kids, a lot of young adults are kind of looking out there yeah. like, wow, what, what next? What, where does my life go from here? And there was, you know, I, as sad and sort of fulfilling as the ending was, I think a lot of kids or grown up kids are, you know, looking at this as a, a with even more, more heft. I, I think back to not quite the same thing. It was only three years, but when Lord of the Rings ended, that was Ooh. 2003. I was mid college, uh, mid college, just about to graduate college. You know, that started that started my freshman year and then just kind of went along. So in a, in a similar kind of way, it mapped my own 
life yeah. revolution. It became this sort of tradition that my friends and I did. I remember watching that that end credit sequence in, in Return of the King and that beautiful Annie Lennox songs playing. I got very emotional. Um, you know, not just because uh, it was uh, the end, you know, a beautiful song and everything, but just the idea that this is the last time I was going to sit in this theater and watch this yeah. or have this relationship with this thing. So I can only imagine what 10 years does to a, a person. I, you know, honestly, uh, all I can think about about those 10 year olds that saw Iron Man is, you know, you're so fucking spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't know what it was uh, like with yeah. Superman four, the quest for peace. Oh Lord. Uh, yeah, Batman forever or whatever. Come on guys. Yeah, anyway, we had to suffer through the bad Batman movies. Should <laughs> we start as we usually do with describing like, what were your theater conditions for this? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you had a pretty killer one. Like I got an un- unexpected text from you. Well, I had planned to see it Sunday afternoon at the Alamo draft house. And Somewhere around Thursday afternoon, I was like, you know what? We've been talking about this. You know, I've been lamenting the loss of the midnight premiere and all of these things. And I was thinking, like, it's, it, I'm not going to get anything done on Friday if I don't see it. I'm just going to be thinking about it and trying to avoid spoilers by looking at more spoilers because oh I've God, looked at yeah. all of them. Um, and just, I was just kind of thinking, I'm like, you know, this is the last time. I doubt there are tickets, but let me just look. And sure <laughs> enough, there were a smattering of open seats available at you know, 9, 45, 10, 10, 30. And, and so forth. So I grabbed a 945 ticket and I went Thursday night and uh, we have this gigantic oh ass theater very near my house. That's like this, you know, Tinseltown 25 or whatever it is. Kind of like the thoroughbred, very, very similar to the thoroughbred in Franklin, uh, cool Springs, Tennessee, which, but nice. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. the thoroughbred in, in 2003. <laughs> exactly. I've not been there lately. So I, my, my sort of impression of the thoroughbred is still, yeah, circa early 2000s. So kind of like a lot like that, but but a little bit more upscale. Every theater was just running that movie. Um, so oh, that's it was, hilarious. you know, everybody had reserved tickets, but they were just running through the lines. Yeah. Um, just again, so I ended up seeing it not in a giant space, but in a smaller, smaller, you know, sort of theater, still pretty big, big enough screen, but it wasn't like the main arena theater that oh, yeah, they, yeah. they pack every, which is kind of what I was going for. But that was, that was jam. So I saw it with a a uh, mostly adult crowd uh, being. 9 45 on a thursday yeah, night i didn't realize you went that late i thought you were out at oh no, i was out at 1 30 oh my god <laughs> it was uh it was a late night uh to be sure but i'm glad i did it it um wasn't quite the raucous audience i think there were some moments oh, i wish the audience okay. was the you know, participation was a little higher um but it did have the you know the attempt you could feel the attention of the audience in that in that room you know there, everybody in there i think had been at least to the last five years worth, if not all 10 years worth of, of film. So it's, there was a palpable familiarity and just like, I, I think everybody was there for the same reason. Oh, wow. I went to my local theater. Um, I did see it in Dolby Atmos, uh, Ooh. which I couldn't really tell for this one. I, I mean, I know, I know it, I, I, the, I appreciate the experience, but I, there was no like extra oomph. I have been to a couple of Dolby Atmos movies where, something is like way more severe in the audio. Okay. Um, and this was Blade Runner uh, 2049, for example, it's <laughs> way more severe. Right. That's what I'd heard. All I, did way not, through. I didn't, I never ended up seeing Oof. that. Um, the, uh, I, I went to a two fifty five PM show, which was just the benefit of being a freelancer what day? Um, on Friday. Friday. Okay. <clears throat> so, and uh, uniquely, <laughs> 
this is the opening weekend of the 20th anniversary of the Newport Beach Film Festival. So, which was, so this theater, which only has like a few theaters, a few, uh, you know, actual like screens in it, um, could not run in the game in every screen. I think they were running it on at least two, maybe three, but they had Film Fest movies going on. Wow. So they're like loading in. Uh, there, there was a, I, you know, I walk up and there's this huge, uh, like cordoned off line. Not what no one was in it. And I thought, wow, is that the line for tickets for like later showings or something? No, no, no. That was the film fest line because then I walk in and they have like a backdrop set up for red carpet photos. And, you know, they have these different tables outside with merch and stuff. And so there's all this extra foot traffic in addition to, the Avengers traffic. You should have um, put on a beanie and pretended you were an indie film auteur <laughs> and you could just walk the red carpet and just, you know, made, made fake appearances. And- there were definitely Avengers people there to see the Avengers that were taking selfies on their little fake red carpet because uh, it was just set there. Like there was nobody on it, you know, uh, uh, um, it wasn't like an entrance to it. It was just a backdrop for photos of the film. Uh, okay. Anyway. Um, so uh, I, this was about the same time that I saw a, Infinity War last year. I did okay. see that like afternoon. I, that might have been like four o'clock or something. Um, and again, like you and I talked about opening day stuff. My theater was strangely for Infinity War. There were like a ton of empty seats right next to me. It was mm-hmm. mostly full. And I know they sold those seats because I, you know, when I looked for Infinity War, I was only able to buy the end row ticket or whatever. Um, and then all the seats next to me were empty. So that, that person just didn't show up. But mm-hmm. uh, this one was packed. Nice. And good. Yeah, Endgame was packed and the audience was really into it. Um, a lot of clapping. Like good thing I don't get in movies, but just oh, for like I love it. For like entrances, you know, like when someone shows up and they all clap, and it was like, What doesn't it make it more exciting though with a movie like this to have it that? is interesting, but I'm always like, Boy, have you ever been to a symphony or <laughs> stage production? I'm sure they're more attentive to the, the cultural norms of those, those things, Todd. <laughs> um I definitely wanted everyone to shut up at the beginning because it it was so oh, quiet. Yeah, and, totally. Um, and people were were like just you know excited and talking and stuff. But anyway, that was my experience. It was you know I, I, a lot of good feedback and stuff. It was definitely a butt numathon. Like I felt those three hours, mm. um, and uh, and I definitely had to choose a very opportune moment to run to the bathroom. But only once. So, which like moment that. was that? If I don't, if you, well, I had read a couple of articles on best time to pee that were trying <laughs> to do this on not spoiling it, uh-huh. and um, and honestly, I could have written a better article on that. I think after watching it, but I went when Hawkeye was in Japan. Uh, okay, that, yeah, I, that's about. I don't right. care about Hawkeye. You know, I it w- I would have laughed my brains out if during the cold open he had also turned into dust and no one no one thought to look for him for the entire movie i would have i would have thought that was the funniest thing ever um but i i mean i don't like i don't dislike him but he, he's a stooge you know of the of shield and Hydra. i did laugh but while we're on the topic i did laugh at the very end credits when um you know it started and then you suddenly see this like jeremy renner animation and like his signature and i'm like i started laughing i'm like wait is this what the hell's going on now like because i thought that was just it was just gonna be him <laughs> like it was just oh, I did that like, too, weird... where i was like wait how do you get singled out for the yeah, is this just some kind of like weird fan service tribute to Hawkeye because he wasn't in the first one? Like, there's gonna be like yeah. a joke or something, and then all the other 
um, things started happening. And I was like, oh, I see. But it, just, it was sort of funny. I almost wonder if they didn't do that intentionally. Like, watch. Everybody's going to be like, holy shit, it's Hawkeye's movie. No. I mean, well, I, I got to give it credit. Like, I really love that, like, it opened with his family. That was wonderful. Yeah, it was cool. I definitely like Linda Cardellini in that role. Don't really care for Jeremy Renner or, you know, Hawkeye in general. But, yeah, the kids were great. Um, love that he calls his daughter Hawkeye. I wonder if that's the actor that's going to be in the show with him. Mm. Um, that would be amazing. Mm. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, so I thought we'd also talk about the structure of the movie as a way of getting into it because it's let's, yeah, let's just almost start like two acts. Like it's almost a pixie song of like the quiet parts <laughs> and then the loud part. You know, they stomp on that distortion pedal right in yeah. the middle and do not go back to being quiet after that. Yeah. Well, I want to before we before we even go that far, I want to kind of pull back even further. Oh, okay. I have been making the the case for a while now that these are not movies so much as very, very expensive episodes of a long-running TV series. And I do feel like, especially when taken with Infinity War, it it, it felt and had the sort of emotional gravitas of a series-ending episode, like the last episode of Cheers, the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, the last episode of The Office. You know, it had this sort of, like, oh, if this was if this was a TV show, this is kind of what they'd be doing. Like, this is kind of how they'd send everybody off. These are the sort of emotional beats you'd want. And it doesn't make it bad. It's just it's it's much more that. And I'll even take it one step further. Think about how few cultural touch points we have now, especially as it relates to TV. We have Game of Thrones for three more weeks, and then that because that loses its cachet as like the water cooler thing. Um, you know, there's, I think maybe there's, is there anything else? Maybe stranger things. There's very few other things that we all watch in unison, except for these Marvel movies. People They're love like, that, uh, this is us show. <laughs> I still, I mean, yes, but that's still not everybody. Like you can't just, I mean, it's very hard to find a universe, like walk down the street, and just say, this is us and have people go, Oh my God, I just watched last night. Like you can with game of Thrones or breaking bad when it was low. I, I think more people watch this is us than watch stranger things. Really? I think so. I remember being very depressed when I realized that like the Mad Men audience was, you know, a fifth of. Yeah. (laughs) But but my point, TV show. My my ultimate point is that this these movies are they do function. I mean, this does function. The last ten years, like the run of Cheers, it has that same kind of like, oh, we're gonna miss these guys, and just the way they sort of treated this. Um, was as a finale. I mean, there wasn't any end credit sequences, I think, yeah. for that reason. It is very much like a, you know, we're not going to tell you much more. It's it's not like, and, you know, it wasn't like Spider-Man will return. It's just like, nope, this is it. Yeah. And everything else is either new or it's, it's a different thing. But this series is now over. I, I and, think we needed that. Like, we needed yeah. a punctuation mark on this. It was, it was, it was getting hard to like keep up with all those things like everything leading into the next thing is is not always a satisfying like 100 percent, yeah aesthetic like <laughs> absorption kind of thing i don't know yep. that's not a great way to experience art like it's never well, done somebody yeah. else said that made this great point they're like if ant-man and the wasp had come out 10 years ago it would be it would have been revolutionary. It would have been like, right. holy crap. Or even better yet, like 15 years ago, like during the, whenever that really oh, yeah. terrible Wolverine movie came out. Oh my God. Like, yeah. 
Like if, if Ant-Man and Lost came out that summer, it'd be like one of the biggest things ever. But because it was just off the on the back of all these other movies, all of this continuity, it lost some of that special sauce that you know I think future generations will get more of when they can watch it on its own as its own thing. Um, if they're not interested in watching the you know the MCU TV series um, start to finish, but like it just it it is. I want some of these movies to feel a little more special again, and the only way that can happen is if you. Unt- if you start fresh and untangle a lot of this connected, yeah. you know, thread that, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I go ahead. I, sorry. I inter- interrupted. I, I, you were using, well, I'm just going to say like, it's, it's been a wonderful, it's, it was a wonderful experiment that proved insanely profitable and satisfying to a lot of people. Yeah. I just don't want you, know, maybe with exceptions of fast and furious, I don't want any other, I don't want a lot of these, you know, and it, that's the temptation. All these studios mm-hmm. are going to be like, we need to create our, you know, it's super duper expensive TV shows on the silver screen. And it's, yeah. It's just kind of like, ah, I did. Mm. Well, I, 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 this had so much magic behind it. Like oh, the cast yeah. and uh, I, I don't the know. Best I acting we've ever seen from these folks. Yeah. The and it just the, the sort of legion of directors who, I, I mean, it, it's unbelievable that you can kind of go through the Marvel movies and pull out director choices that you liked, you know? I mean, it's you, John Favreau establishing the tone of Iron Man and you know, Peyton Reed doing Ant-Man and Ryan Coogler doing a Black Panther and like Taika Waititi. Yeah. And, uh, but even before Taika, like, I mean, uh, Kenneth Branagh doing the first Thor. Ooh, like, good pull. How crazy is that? Um, I, I did want to blow your mind briefly, which I think is germane to this point, which is uh, you said something about that terrible Wolverine movie. X-Men Origins Wolverine came out after Iron Man. <laughs> did it <laughs> iron man was 2008 well the first wolverine was 2009 wow can you believe that like iron man existed and fox went no we're sticking with this terrible thing <laughs> damn like i mean that is a mind blower in itself of like uh how forward thinking i think the marvel studios was at that point yeah. and, and maybe they didn't even know what they had but you know, we were introduced to the Avengers initiative and, and, uh, you know, Sam they just had the character and stuff. And they just had the balls to stick with it. That's the big thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a big, big bunch of that credit goes to Ike Perlmutter, who was, um, Kevin Feige's co co-conspirator at that point. Um, there was since, since been a coup to remove him from the MCU, but like that guy was pushed. And then there was that other guy, like that other, Oh, what's his name? Avi like Arad. A, yes. Avi Arad. Thank you. He was, I mean, he was shepherding all the Marvel movies though. So he was involved in like all the Spider-Man's for it and Hulk. You always see Avi Rod's name on the credits on those Spider-Man movies. Like right away, the Sam Raimi ones. It's like, Avi Rod. You're like, oh my God, that guy. Yeah. He was huge. A pioneering thinker, I think for Marvel, like in that Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. 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 And so you've got, you've got, I mean, a lot of those, I'll be honest, those Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies feel very, very much like MCU movies. If you go back and watch them now, you're like, oh, this these could have easily been just MCU components. If, if, if the MCU was around then or even not, they still hold up fairly well today. You could just add them in and it would. Um, I, I haven't gone back, but I do remember, uh, you know, I mean, I, I know it's universally mocked, but I guess when Tobey Maguire was celebrating like his 35th birthday in Spider-Man <laughs> three or whatever, it was like, okay, <laughs> he is Spider-Man. Let's <laughs> get <the> out. <laughs> the whole point i mean i love tom holland too i actually i was i like the andrew garfield movie not that second i never saw the second one so we we, yeah 
Anyway, anyway, like anyway. On the Spider-Man missteps. <laughs> but they stuck with it. They built it up to this point, and it was it's you know it's a very special thing. And so this this end game does serve as both the end of the story, but also the end of all of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of this team won't be back together again for a while, if ever. Um, yeah. Obviously, a lot of these characters aren't coming back uh, as we know them, or as we did know them. So. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, railroad us back into that structure of the movie. <laughs> yeah, please. Sorry, I which I because I, something you said just reminded me of this of I, I think in taking all of that in I was very appreciative now I, I have since rewatched Infinity War a few times and I do not think this is as true as I initially thought but my first impression of Infinity War was it was a bunch of quick moving scenes from like you know a group of characters to group of characters it's not I mean it has really I think great pacing in retrospect mm-hmm. but I really appreciated in light of this being the end game that we got to spend so much time with people in the beginning. And it just, it really did feel like two movies to me. Like here's the emotional center of the movie. And then here's going to be the action, the crazy ass action that happens at the end. I did. I, 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 you know, as much as I love that cast, I did find myself missing everyone else. And I was like, I want to see the guardians of the galaxy. And I want, I mean, uh, granted, we'll talk about it when we get to uh, the favorite things that we each had from the movie, but I would for sure watch 10 more movies starring Chris Hemsworth as Thor and uh, uh, Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon, like mm-hmm. as a duo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, if that were just, yeah, oh my gosh, that's the spinoff series I want to see. I, but, well, real quick, I, I, it's funny you have that perception of it because I, I, these feel like totally different movies to me. Like I would almost, almost mm. as if like they're, you know, like it's David Nutter and Miguel Sapochnik. Like, Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. I mean, it's the yeah. same writers, Marcus and Mephili and the Russo brothers directing, writing, yeah. you're, they made them both at the same time and they feel like totally different movies. Well, I agree. No, I, I do think they feel like different movies. I, I, uh, yeah, I just felt like this one, they knew it was the end and they were able to draw out the emotional stuff in the beginning. Whereas Infinity War has to establish like where all these creatures, you know, all these sorry, creatures, I don't know what I'm saying, groups of heroes are, you know, mm-hmm. like it's very much like outer space and then there's the Guardians and then uh, uh, New Asgard and there's, you know, that it was hopping around a lot, whereas yeah. this one was centered. Yeah, yeah. And it's much, and it was, it was a smaller ensemble. So everybody had more yeah. room, more space yeah. to breathe. And they let so many scenes just have all the time they needed, yeah. which I was, thank God, because it's like I needed for any of these moments to work for, you know, the, the Paul Rudd scene where he sees his daughter again. That, yeah. Like one of some of the best acting you're ever going to see from Paul Rudd. Like that scene needed all the time and space. Uh, you know, in in the the context of the story, for that to really p- pay off the way it did, there's so many yeah. scenes like that where it's like, oh, we need to take our time, and I'm so thankful they did. Like they earned it and they used it. It's not like yeah, it's not like they were they chickened out. It's like, well, we we got to make the money. It's like people are going to come regardless, so let's do what's right for the story for these characters. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, you said that so much better than I did. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Totally, I was totally thankful for all that time. Um, I. Do, I wanted to jump into something that you and I talked about uh, last night, uh, not on a podcast, 
which was the five years later conundrum. But I'm not sure if you're ready to jump into that or not. Well, do we want to talk about that or that in the context of all their time ta- travel shenanigans? Because I think there's – I think it all it sort of wraps together. So uh, you and I definitely pointed out – well, you pointed out to me uh, the 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 – what did you just call it? The shenanigans? Shenanigans, of, yes. Of the five years later. And and I definitely thought the just the moment of that title card appearing was a little too overdramatic. Mm-hmm. Um I, because it seemed like a very, this is what I said to you last night, it seemed like a very mechanical device to explain two things, to give Tony time with his daughter mm-hmm. and to have the shock of Scott showing back up and explaining, I've really only been gone for five hours in my yeah. mind. Yeah. So I, I, I get that, that we needed that impact, but you pointed out that it, it has some weird time travel implications. Well, and there, jump into that. Yeah, <laughs> there are things, and these are not original thoughts. I mean, I noticed them at the time, but there are things that others have echoed since. Um, when you say five years in the future, it's it, especially after a, a catastrophic event like half the population failing or fading. A lot of things get introduced to the story that are not conveniently hand waved away. For example, especially because they reinforce them visually, so you see that haunting image of all those boats uh, uh, gathered around the Statue of Liberty, just abandoned. Yeah. You, you see all these cars, you know, when Scott is walking yeah, through yeah, San Francisco, exactly. just these abandoned neighborhoods, that, that, lo- that creepy scene with that lone kid biking by- past him and just like, you know, this, this, almost like a Stephen King movie. So clearly they recognize the world as being a, not a safe or good place since all this happened. Five years has taken its toll physically and emotionally. So when you bring half the population back in a snap, in an instant, where does all the food come from? How do they, how does everybody, how how has the economy moved on? How are jobs allocated now? Like, how do we just go back to what we were before? You can make the case, well, it won't take long. We'll just, you know, we'll settle back into it. And I think, okay, fine. But then it, it starts to feel more like a TV show where just some of these details are conveniently waved away. One of the, strangely enough, we're talking about time. One of the shows that kept coming to mind as I was watching Infinity War was Doctor Who. And Doctor Who has, has this, this, this long-running sort of challenge of do you make an episode that is emotionally satisfying but skimps on the technical detail or doesn't care as much about the technical detail – Or do you make one that's very loyal to the logic and the technicality of the story, but maybe isn't as emotionally impacting? Strangely, the latest season of Doctor Who with Jodie Whittaker does both a lot, which is why it's so badass and so satisfying and wonderful on every level. Um, That's for another day. But some of those earlier episodes, those David Tennant episodes, some of those Matt Smith episodes, a lot of people loved Russell T. Davies as a showrunner because he he always erred on the side of emotion. A lot of people loved Stephen Moffat as a showrunner because he erred on the side of techni- uh, the technical storytelling and wasn't as emotional. And, you know, you can make a case both, you know, either way, it's, it's more a matter of personal preference, but I feel like a good story should strive to do both and not sacrifice one for the other. I don't know. I think Avengers was playing more in the Russell T Davies model of, we want to make sure these emotional moments really land. And if we have to hand wave away some of these technical things, fine. But then don't intentionally put such a massive plot device in your story like five years later, yeah. which which re- by its own existence 
demands all of this attention to the technicality around it. Like, well, you, you're yeah. telling me the world is in a worse place. You're telling me all these people, like all these things happen when you suddenly reintroduce half the population again, <laughs> that, that requires its own explanation. Give me some, yeah. acknowledge that in some way. Well, and you had, uh, I, like I was almost prepared to sort of hand wave a lot of that. And then you had this great example from the film that I think totally demonstrates like, I mean, it's a wonderful film, like, but there's just, there's the Spider-Man example of Peter yeah. going back to school, which I'll let you tell, which I, I think is just so perfect. You see Peter Parker at the end, you know, as they're wrapping up uh, everybody's point of view story, Peter Parker's back in school. He sees Ned. Ned looks at him and starts crying and hugging him immediately. Peter Parker's kind of like, yeah, man tough time. I mean, Peter is a lot more put together in that scene than Ned is. You get the impression that Ned has been at school missing his best friend for five years. So why is Ned not older? Why has Ned not graduated? Why is this all still happening? So the easy explanation is, well, Ned got disappeared too. Fine. But then don't show me that scene that suggests all these questions that leaves me more confused. I shouldn't leave the theater obsessing over these things. I should leave the theater going, holy shit, Robert Downey Jr. Holy shit. Yeah. Steve Rogers, like all of these, I shouldn't be thinking, well, what the hell is that about? Are we, when are we going to find that? It, it ruins the coda in yeah. such a inter- non, non-essential way. Well, and I like your five years uh, aspect. Like I, I, that is, is so, uh, I was well, sorry, that, that point of like jumping into it is so interesting to me because what I sat with was the the existentialism of all of this and thinking like you know if if an awful like event happened like this number one um uh i'm i guess i'm just not that cynical of a person and i think human resilience would have actually cleaned up the planet and i found myself watching the movie not on Thanos's side, but thinking like, I actually don't think the neighborhoods would be worse. I think they might actually be better off, <laughs> you know, um, like they would be, you know, I think in five years we would have moved all the abandoned cars out of the neighborhood, you know? Um, but I also thought if you've, if you've lived with this for so long, um, the, the danger of this proposed solution I think would just be magnified like that much more, you know, the risks of this, this one chance in 14 million that could pay off. Um, and I, I, it was weird that like, I don't know, it was weird, but also I guess perfect for his character that Tony is at once the one trying to enjoy the present moment. And then also the one that realizes he's going to obsess about fixing it until he does it, you know, like it's going to drive me crazy if i throw it in the ocean or whatever his solution. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just, uh, especially, and it's funny because in our last episode, you talked about this comic book called uh, Thanos wins. Yeah. And I was actually thinking of, so I had this idea of talking about Thanos, like before we even saw Endgame, And that was that, you know, Thanos like literally means death. And I think it's so interesting in the, in the books when there is another character called death, and that he's obsessing over right himself. and it's like well wait aren't you making him the personification of death itself and so in the movie i don't know it's i granted you know superhero movie but i almost saw it as like after five years maybe the heroes would just 
start to think of Thanos not as an alien being, but as like a literal natural disaster of mm. death, a mm -hmm. planet. And wouldn't they just sort of live with it, especially after they go kill him? You know, well, they kind of did. I mean, think about it. Like they, I mean, Black Widow's running yeah. sort of what's left and they're trying to just continue on. Yeah. I, Stark is the one who they all sort of fall apart in their own interesting ways. Cap's yeah. running that that support group, trying to eke out his life there. Black Widow's you know, getting more depressed. Um, all, all of these Hulk yeah. is Hulk is having an identity crisis, literally and figuratively. Yeah, there's all these all these things happening. Then Tony's kind of like his his version of falling apart is like I'm just going to have this insanely normal life now. Yeah, and well, and uh, don't forget Hawkeye, who goes on this vengeance rampage that yeah. is like, yeah. nuts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's interesting. Let's let's talk more about this time travel aspect too. They made it very clear when it, when they were setting it up, when they were teasing it, they did a great job of of at least giving uh, giving an ear to well, what if we do this? What should happen? And explaining to the audience their rules for time travel because the easy thing to do is assume it's all back to the future. It's you go back, you change something, it changes it in the in the present. We've been conditioned on that logic for thirty goddamn years now. So for them to say if you go that the past you go to is your future, I'm like yeah, yeah for those people, but the past is still the past for everybody else in the past relative to the future. I don't, I don't understand this logic of we change something in 1970, but then it doesn't change the, the future. Wouldn't, wouldn't when you go back into the future, you're in, you're not in your own future anymore. You're in a parallel future. You're in the divergent timeline that you created by simply going to the past. That would have made at least a little more sense, but they have this weird, they kind of had their cake and ate it too with time travel, which just almost makes it, I wish they hadn't done it if they were going to be that fast and loose with it. Well, I actually didn't. I didn't take. I didn't get the fast and loose uh, vibe from it. I actually thought the idea of the um, oh shit, what is it that Scott goes to uh, the quantum <laughs> realm? The quantum realm. I actually thought that was an interesting way to solve a time travel dilemma, and and I you know and I thought it was a, a good moment of humor where he's trying to describe it as not a time machine, and then he's like, yeah, it's a time machine, like I, that. I don't know. I just liked that solution. You know, it wasn't, I, it was, I don't know. It just, I wish they'd called it reality hopping then because ooh. that would have, that would have fit together a little bit better. Like we're going to hop into different realities and grab, because what well, I really, let me, let me just, let me paint this picture for you. When I heard that, that, you know, the quantum realm was going to be a heavy part in this and that they may travel through time. Um, my mind immediately did think, well, wouldn't it be cool if they're going to really have their cake and eat it too and, and be as fan servicey as they can, wouldn't it be cool if they found a way to make it reality, you know, space and time, or just, just different realities in general, different universes they could go to to pull oh, the infinity stones and they could even <laughs> end up in a universe really quickly. They could almost be like this montage of different, almost like when the guardians of the galaxy, they're, they're jumping again and again. And you see little yeah. glimpses, you see Stan Lee talking to the, the watch. And all that stuff. Imagine they're going through different realities, and there's there's one where they're all in the traditional costumes. Uh, Scarlet Witch has got the weird and no. mascot. Like there could have been some really cool. Like we're gonna put them in the most comics, you know, relevant costumes ever. But just at least this idea of of realities being where they're going. Because at at one point they go back and they interact in the events of 2012 Avengers, which was cool to see. But then yeah. Loki takes the Tesseract and leaves. So yeah. clearly that is not the Loki that died in Infinity right. War. So what is that? Is that well, a different reality, a different time? We just call it a different reality. I know. Why and it's it? like 
there's that it's not belabored. It's actually pretty simply put when whatever her name is, Tilda Swinton's character, you know, is explaining to Bruce like, no, but when you take this out, you're going to part this reality. Like she does it. I mean, that's a great visual, you know, now there's going to be this history and then there's going to be this history and the stones back right here. And I, and it's like, okay, yeah, great. That'll work. But as soon as Loki takes that Tesseract, as soon as Hawkeye takes the baseball glove from his kid, like, yeah, man, that's yeah. all butterfly effect shit that Ashton Kutcher explained to us years ago. <laughs> like, I, every little moment you I impact like movie, by the way. it's going to fuck something up. I can also think of uh, Homer Simpson going back into the, you know, prehistoric past and accidentally oh, stepping on a bug. Yeah. And then... <laughs> That was a beautiful episode. Well, so yeah. it makes me want, like, they clearly knew what they were getting into. They clearly took the time to say, here's how our time travel logic works. And yeah. then nobody told them, well, that doesn't really make sense, guys. Yeah. It just, it, it felt, I don't know. There's just, it, and I don't know why I'm so, I get so persnickety about that when yeah. there are so many other things you just sort of accept on their face that are equally ridiculous. Right. I think it is because we've had so much shared history of storytelling and time travel where time travel works a very specific way and a a very logical way. Like you can't fault back to nothing in back to the future time travel. You could say it's, it's physically impossible in terms of, of the way quantum physics works or anything, but just the logic of you go back, you change one thing, it impacts the presence. You could get Biff's casino. If you do one little thing wrong. I like that. Like that, that there could have been they could have had more fun with that if they were loyal to it, or it would have been less distracting if they just said we're going back to different realities to, to gather the stones again. I don't know. I, yeah, I totally agree with you that it's it's ridiculous to like nitpick something like that when there are other more like you know, the fact that we're like, hey, that green monster is fine, <laughs> but that yeah. time traveling is bullshit. I mean, it's yeah. like we're we're literally having the same commentary that Scott Lang did when he's like, You're telling me back to the future is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but it's a thing you and I have talked about with comics on several past episodes. I can think of Rocket Girl in particular, but a lot of them Ooh. where wherever some time travel comes in, it's like, man, I, not only is there like a dicey logic to it, but there are so many landmines on mm-hmm. like, it's almost like as soon as you introduce time travel, you're introducing so many audience members who are going to go, but what about this? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's your danger. It's not so much your story because I, None of that affected, like, uh, affected my appreciation of Endgame. Like, I loved Endgame. I bought into that stuff. I was down with it. I, to me, the question was the the time, the five year time jump of uh, of just thinking of it like a, a human being. Like, God, wouldn't you have cleaned up your neighborhood and like gotten on with your life? I just, um, I just going back to the five year thing real quick. Does this mean every movie now we see that's not right. some kind of crazy space thing? Is that just is it always going to be five years in the future until I, we hit twenty twenty three ourselves? I think that's a problem, um, which is weird. Uh, and I, I don't know that we care. Like it's not like it's such a reality based, you know, series that they have to establish that. Yeah, um, but. But I'll tell you another uh, question is, uh, why didn't Michelle Pfeiffer come back as a 35-year-old woman? Like, There's a great question. I mean, if, <laughs> yeah, if she was in the quantum realm for like, you know, 30 years or something, like she should come back 30 years younger or just 30 hours older, you know? She does seem to have the Paul Rudd jeans, though. She does. She ages so gracefully. You're like, exactly. <laughs> Michael Beautiful Douglas woman. looks much older than you do right now, uh, Michelle. And you're yeah. supposed to be married with a kid. So, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I should we jump into character moments that we really love? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I, let's. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say we. I mean, do we build up to Tony or do we just start with Tony? <laughs> oh, I, I was gonna say, do we build up to Fat Thor? That was oh my god, <laughs> such a delightful, well, I was unexpected that right in surprise the, in the faves. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll we'll save it for the faves. But no, I mean, I. I loved that he stayed fat for the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. I was so sure that he was going to activate some lightning power and then be svelte all of a sudden. Like, yeah. just, he's, you know, he's rock hard at that moment. But Especially oh when we God. consider Jane Foster becomes all buff and everything when she, in the comics, when she becomes Lady Thor. Just, sorry, just <laughs> Thor. That's so you kind of thought, oh, yeah, but I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad in that final battle he's just this husky, big Lebowski looking guy. I did. Yeah. I did love when the lightning hits him and his beard gets uh, <laughs> braided or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was, and I think it led into the moment with Valkyrie at the end, which was so nice and so perfect. Of um, you know, handing the reins the of command to her. It did. P.S. It did kind of feel like they didn't intend to include Valkyrie and the other Asgardians until everybody started bitching about it after Infinity <laughs> War. Like, where are they? And they're like, they're right here, okay? Here they are. Here's I, Borg and here's Meek and here they are. And be, everybody's fine, okay? It did, yeah. I, I too, got that impression. That and is and like my, you pointed out, they've somehow saved Loki so that he's not dead, you know? Yeah, but think about this, right? So that is that is the percentage of Asgardians who made it off Asgard well before Hela destroyed it. So she killed like so many Asgardians yeah. anyway. They made it off. Then this is also the percentage of the group that made it away from the ship when Thanos attacked yep. and made it to Earth. So it's such a small group of Asgardians right now. I it, They say new Asgard and you know, uh, Valkyrie's her their king or queen, but of what? This village? <laughs> How? Yeah. It's just, it's so small. I, I kind of commend them for trying yeah. to make it as, as best they can anyway sorry yeah um no to uh, thor yeah great fat uh, thor i'm gonna say this is my favorite ant-man movie i paul rudd really? just brought it this entire time he, they i'm gonna i'm gonna i told this to rachel i'm gonna say it right now i think if paul rudd could be if properly uh guided or motivated he could be like robin williams where he has these amazing comedic performances and then on a dime he delivers these incredibly deep rich sad character studies that yeah. robin williams is so good at doing you see him and his daughter in that scene you're just like holy crap paul rudd has range yeah. i never knew i never thought he brian fantana could make me feel <laughs> oh man you you sir have not watched clueless <laughs> i i remember clueless I remember he boy wasn't... he really made anyone with a heart love him in that. Uh, anyway uh yeah i i mean it, it's not my favorite ant-man movie but um but yeah, Paul Rudd, him and Fat Thor and I, I mean, geez, none of us can say enough of how what a great job Marvel has done with these actors that yeah. are that create these personalities that are so different and work together so well. And you look at like Justice League where it was, you know, four of the same personality and Aquaman and Flash, you know, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, their moms are in Batman v Superman. Literally, have the same name. <laughs> ah, God, it was it was it was interesting. I I will say too, this is probably 
I heard mentions of this or murmurs of this before I, you know, during the premiere and before I saw it. But I would not be surprised if Robert Downey Jr. doesn't win a Golden Globe or get nominated Ooh. for something for Best Acting in this because he's maybe not an Oscar, but something, you know, something along those lines. He was magnificent. This is some of the best acting he's put out for a while. Yeah, he had I, some serious range too. He's amazing. Um, I, my only beef is with the Tony character itself. Uh, and there was this one moment that I, I, I wanted to highlight cause I, at one time I think I, I, at once, I think it is very realistic, which is when he's angry at cap and yeah. I, I got that it's, this is a misplaced anger, you know, like this is a, a man who's been stranded on a planet, watched everyone on the planet with him die, you know, including this kid that he's very fond of, um, his surrogate son in a way. And it's like, he, yeah, he's very affected and he's lashing out. I got it. But like people who lash out, what he said is so crazy when he's sort of blaming cap for, I saw this coming and I wanted to put up this defense shield. And you know, it's, it was so hard in that moment. I think Chris Evans did a great job of this, of like just standing there and taking it. Mm -hmm. But man, I kept thinking like cap, just say the word Ultron to him. Like, yeah, you wanted a, a planetary defense. Remember, it turned into Ultron and literally wiped out an entire city. <laughs> to be to be fair to Cap, though, and you, you sort of hinted at this, so I know you get it, but to be fair to Cap, this guy was – he was hysterical. Oh, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was – I mean, he was starving. He hadn't, he hadn't eaten yeah, yeah. in however long. Um, he was marooned on that ship for three weeks with Nebula. He yeah. went through all these tragedies. So it's like to, for him to say that might have put him in a coma. No, I, um, I agree. Yeah, I, he, he was definitely caring for Tony in that moment. Tactful. But um, I, I, you know, I we started this podcast after a big rant of mine about Tony the war profiteer. And Ooh, I, I great can't point. really, you know, stop thinking of it that way of like, that's, you know, uh, there's this weird, I don't know. There, You know, I, I don't have the uh, uh, affection for Tony that other people do. And probably that's probably a great moment to mention what I told you last night, which was none of the little children in the theater with me <laughs> knew that Tony was going to die. Oh no. Moment. They, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they lost their shit, but there was a lot of concerned murmuring to adults around them. Like they were very worried. There was wow. a whole row of children in front of me and it just was like, Oh my God. Oh, Iron Man. Oh, mommy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, they, uh, yeah, they it, did not believe it. It was, it was huh. amazing. Well, this um, is a good, I mean, this is, think about how transformative that's going to be for kids. This is their first, this might be their first movie death. This may be uh, as impactful to them as, you know, Bambi's mom dying was or anything from our childhood. That's uh, I'm trying to think of like a really good example. They weren't um, that concerned with uh, black widow dying. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Well, let's talk about a character scene that I didn't care for. Was that anything involving Vormir and and her and and Hawkeye? Oh, no. I just I applaud the fact that they were both. I mean, I like the sort of trying to drag each other down so that the other one could do it. But it just it that whole sequence lacked. I just didn't care as much as I cared about every other moment. And just I, I'm like, this should be really meaningful. And I just. I don't know if it's because he got the red skull hanging out behind him. Just like I will, I will stand here and watch while you guys figure it out. Or if it was, if yeah. it was just the fact that she. Was there no any doubt in your mind of, of whom would fall? No, I, it made too much sense. You don't, you don't take away 
Clint's family and then take him yeah. away if they're going to come back. Like that just made that would be cruel and uh, cruel to the Hawkeye, and especially because he wasn't even in the last one. You're like, okay, what a weird way for yeah. him to go out. Well, and I, I yeah, I agree. For some reason, it didn't have the impact. Because also because we'd already seen that happen with Gamora, and that yeah. had so much impact. Yeah, you know, what I mean, having just watched rewatched Infinity War, and actually you did too. Like when she tries to kill herself rather mm-hmm. than let Thanos kill her, and he turns the knife into bubbles. You know, it's like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, every moment of that, I was just hanging on. And with Black Widow, it wasn't it wasn't like that. I, I I mean, I really thought that fight was well executed, and I loved that like last minute. Um, you know, whenever he, I don't know if he jumps over the cliff or something and then she does the rope thing or he does that or whatever. I don't know what, I can't remember how that went down, but I remember being like, Oh, great, great switcheroo right there. But still, yeah, yeah, I thought all along it's going to be black widow. And I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like, I don't know. More importantly, why did Nebula not tell them? what was going to happen. She knew. I wondered that too. She freaking knew. She, there's yeah. a whole moment in the last one where she's on the, uh, the, on Titan. And she's like, she, she did it. it yeah. She, she confirms that she knows what she's doing, what, what happened. Yeah. She, you know, she told them where to go, like go to Voromir. That's where the soul stone is. Oh, and by the way, one of you is probably going to have to die for, for, t- like why? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess information. she know it had to be a trade, but. Oh, maybe. But also, I, I, I thought that the the rub in the first movie was it didn't necessarily have to be a person. It just had to be something you loved. And and uh, uh, Gamora's like, he doesn't love anything. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was very clear cut. So Hawkeye and, could have thrown his bow and arrow over him and be like, goodbye. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is my favorite knife. Um, it's got a can opener on it. Be funny if like, he holds his bow over the edge and like he looks back at Blackwood and she's like, go on. And he's like, the tear comes to his eye. He yeah. drops it. And then that beam shoots in the sky. It's like, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I didn't want to dwell on her death too much, but I, it, it, I don't know. It just wasn't as satisfying an ending as, yeah. as Tony. Cause I did think Tony's that's the whole conundrum of, of Tony Stark is that he is often selfless in a moment where he like absolutely has to be. And then he's a complete narcissist the rest of the time. Yeah. It's, it's really, that's what makes him an interesting character, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, did you know that Pepper Potts in an Iron Man suit is named rescue? I'd heard that when Iron Man three came out and there were scenes of her with the helmet on, you know, but it's just his armor that she wears to, to uh, yeah. get to safety when they're blowing up the, the mansion. And I remember everybody on uh, Reddit going, Oh, she's rescued. She's doing the rest. I'm like, okay, that's a thing. I guess. Isn't it, I, I, isn't it weird not to jump back too far to one of our old discussions on the last Jedi and soft power with women is that, isn't it crazy that, they can only like when a woman puts on the costume, it it can't be warlike. It has to be like a, a, a soft power and like rescuing people. Whereas oh, yeah. Rhodey puts on the same costume and he's a war machine. <laughs> yeah. Out of here. That's so weird to me. Um, what about I Valkyrie though? She's badass and Valkyrie's. A well, Oh my God. That scene thing. of like all the women. Yeah. You know, that was lining cool. up just, Oh, so good. Like just, there were so many good nods in that last battle where it looked, it looked heavily. I mean, I know this doesn't make any sense. It was, it was heavily CGI to the point where I was like, these people weren't 
Ethan in the same room. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I loved the comic book look of it. And that, mm-hmm. that look of like, when you have a big event book and you do the full page spread with like all of the women or all yeah. of the Wakandans yeah. or, you know, all of the original Avengers. Like I really, really love that. On that note, uh, the big shot that everybody's touting as, as just the quintessential full page splash page shot of the whole thing was that scene on the planes of the former Avengers um, facility where Thanos is then being down all of his, all of his shit, all of his army, everything's there. And it's just cap standing by himself. And the, the sun is kind of <laughs> setting through the clouds and it's right before Sam yeah, um, tell, tells yeah. him on the left. Yeah. That's it's such a great moment that, which by the way, that was one of the scenes revealed in that five minute leaked uh, footage that came out. So as soon as I saw that, and it was just, it was shaky footage. So it was so glorious to see it in full high def on, you know, an actual screen. But the scene I saw was him standing there. You don't, you don't get the whole Vista, but it was just him. And then you, you heard, um, Hey cap on your left. And then like the uh, black Panther and Shuri and, and uh, yeah. Koye walk out. So I remember seeing that going, Oh, Oh, I'm going to be just fine in this movie. This God, is that. I, I I'm almost getting chills right now thinking about it, but uh, that also that definitely elicited like a huge round of shouts in yeah. my theater. Yeah, and when Cap gets the hammer, yeah, there was just an amazing like you know surge of energy, and uh, a guy across the aisle from me was shouted something which I can't remember, but it was it was just like oh snap, you know something yeah, like. Yeah like genuine shock and pleasure and joy in that moment. Like that was so pure. And I loved that there was no learning curve in so many other movies. I would have, you know, been like, Oh, come on. You don't know how to use that. But just the fact that it's cap, it was like, yeah, you know how to use that. You know, exactly he was even channeling the thunder. He was channeling the light. I was like, Oh God, he can even do that too. That's pretty cool. Like he's a natural with it. It's, it was perfect. Um, I, I got to touch on the other cap moment, which is, old man Steve and Falcon at the end, which is so perfectly like almost straight out of the comics. Some, mm-hmm. I can't remember how it happens, but when Sam becomes captain America, Steve is in fact old. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was such a great mirroring of the comics, like such a great, like fan service in that way. But I, I just loved, you know, Sam approaching him. It was like, Hey, did things go wrong or did they go right? You know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that was beautiful. And because right before that too, I thought, wow, I can't believe we lost Tony and you know, Steve is uh, still Steve. And I, I don't know, not that I wanted him to go, but it was just a big yeah. moment. Yeah, no, that was, I have more to say on that in just a second. Cause it, it dovetails into something you're, I didn't quite care for. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. well, I, mean, I love that moment. I love that moment. And by the way, Holy crap, as good as Marvel is at de-aging people, they're even better at making them older. That was some of the best old age CGI I've ever seen. I mean, it wasn't makeup. It was all it was old age CGI. He really? looked like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, it was, he sure did. I did a double take, like or a triple take. Like, is this still Chris Evans? What's going on? I mean, that's what he's that's what Chris Evans is going to look like when he's that old. <laughs> it's gonna be really weird to see. I did for a hot second think that for some bizarre reason we were seeing like he he maybe the, the past got screwed up and that was like scrawny Steve Rogers sitting there. I thought um, that too. I thought, I thought he originally until, you know, Falcon, uh, until the camera moved, I thought he'd gone back in time and not taken the serum. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
man. Yeah. I'm glad that wasn't the case. I mean, what we got was, was just, it was better, but um, do you want to talk? I mean, we can keep going, but I kind of want to get into our maybe three to five favorite moments and three to five least favorite moments. Cause I think that'll cover a lot of ground pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think that's a good place. I can tell you, uh, on for better or worse, we've pretty much covered my faves. I had uh, Thor in there. I had seeing the women of Marvel in there um, and probably the Steve scene at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so what about yourself? I think that entire sequence where Sam goes on your left from that point oh, on. Yeah. Um, was just, and it was such a beautiful callback to winter soldier when cap passes him on the, on the lake and DC's like on your left, on your left. So to have mm. Sam say that to him right then and there, which is great because, um, uh, the, the screenwriters, uh, Marcus and McFeely wrote this infinity war, uh, civil war, uh, winter soldier and be- be- unbelievably Thor, the dark world, which they had a, a co-writer on oh. as well. So they, that's why Thor, the dark world got such a weird shout out in mm. this movie. Yeah. It's like, we wrote that one. We're going to go back. Um, well, and that, and that was the Russo brothers for all of those movies too, right? Not Thor, the dark world. No, oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Not dark. But yeah, world. those four, uh, yeah. uh, civil war, winter soldier. And then the last two infinity movies, wow. um, which it makes you wonder what would have happened had Joss Whedon, not burnt out if he had stuck around like what would we have gotten instead it's very interesting because yeah. he wouldn't have it would have been him writing it or co-writing it as well and we could have wound up with something very different probably satisfying but very very different well um, and it's still weird too because uh we talked about this in our game of thrones episode last night our wednesday and westeros podcast where uh we said you can see miguel sapochnik the director like learning from his own not mistakes but like honing his you know his skills and i feel that way like i i know it came chronologically first but i really loved winter soldier and then did not like civil war Mm -hmm. as much like i thought just sort of story-wise it was kind of a mess Mm -hmm. um yeah but then have you know loved infinity war and endgame and i feel like i could see this movie to me felt like such a culmination of all the great ideas and the great character moments and the great action and you know they got it right. So, so my three favorite, my three favorite moments. Oh, yeah. That one is that just that scene where all the portals open up and you see yeah. everybody, and you even see things that I'm glad we saw, like the all the other um, sorcerers, um, <laughs> yeah. like because you know in, in Infinity where I'm like, is it just Strange and Wong left? I thought there was a lot more people training at that center. So yeah, yeah a bunch of them come through, and you're like, oh good, there they all are, and just everybody else um they they made room for you know there was one person in the theater who after where the credits were going was like why didn't they include the defenders from netflix and i just i was like you that was never gonna happen the only tv character we ever got was jarvis from agent carter um that's the only thing like that that same one yeah it's the guy who because uh marcus mcfeely also co-wrote or co-created the agent carter series yeah well i mean uh is in both well, yeah, right. but she started in the movies, then moved to TV, and then and then came. Yeah, out. But, Carter's like not part of the Defenders world, right? Like, no, not at all. That was the AB. That was an ABC show. Um, I was a little surprised not to see Coulson have anything to do with this I, in I any way, shape, or form. Especially because they made a big deal about bringing him into Captain Marvel. They're like, look, he's he's alive in the '90s. So you thought, well, maybe he'd be at the Tony Stark scene, uh, funeral scene, or something. You'd think maybe that he'd pop no, but up. He but he died in Avengers. 
Yeah, but man, it's like that's part of the his the Agents of Shield show is supposed to be in continuity, and so you're like, okay, I get. I mean, I get it. It's there's only so much time, but just the fact that the fact that goddamn Jessica Jones is going to show up in this show never or this movie never never going to happen. I just the people who it's like the same people who think Lady Stoneheart is still is still coming. It's like it's not going to happen. She's not coming. Jessica Jones isn't coming to this party either. It's just no. So um so the scene that scene I would say. My God, be, you know, I adored the first Iron Man movie, and I'm even I'm even a big fan of Iron Man 2, um, believe it or not. So that last moment when he's got the the glove and he just says, I am Iron, you know, I am yeah. I am Iron Man back. And what happens, the fact that all of Thanos' people fade away, and that it, just, it was such a beautiful scene of poetic justice, um, mirroring yeah. the the end of Infinity War. That I was just like, what a what an amazing baller move. Yeah. And then my probably my other favorite moment, which could have been my absolute favorite moment if they had played it differently. Let me just paint this picture for you. Imagine, imagine if when the Thanos mothership turns its guns and starts firing into the sky like it's um, oh, the yeah. Matrix, and they're all like you know turning their attention, and you hadn't seen Carol up until this point. If she was absent from the movie. Until this moment, they're like, "What are they firing at? Something's coming in the atmosphere, and it's goddamn her with the short hair." Think about how bad. Just, I mean, you would have jumped from your seat just with excitement. Finally, because you the whole time you're like, "Where is she? Where is she coming?" Yeah. If that was when she finally made it back, um, I did. I mean, oof. yeah, I I can see that, but I was already missing all my other favorite characters so much through the movie that. If she hadn't been in it, I would have been really bummed. Oh, but um, that would have been such a triumphant return. It's like, what's coming? Holy shit, it's her. And she's got the short hair. And she's because it would have <laughs> taken her that long to make it back after the pager. Well, that would just I, would have made, made sense. Like, oh, it's uh, been six yeah, years yeah. or five years or whatever. Here she is. Finally, she's back. Well, I um, loved that. I loved her role in the like in the original killing of Thanos. Like, I thought that was great that, yeah. that she sort of took over the Iron Man role and mm. they left him on her you know and mm-hmm. i i just thought that was really well done and i i loved that like uh w- watching how like it was it was literally like the video from uh how it should have ended you know like yeah the plan yeah. worked. they <laughs> all right. got in there took the, <laughs> like took the arm off you know so true. and I, it was yeah it was perfect um, yeah no that's so true god that's a, that is a how it should have ended moment almost literally almost to Almost literally. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah. Thor just comes in and chops off his head. It's like, that's it. We're done. Yeah. So I hate to do this, but I got to talk about my, my least favorite moments too, because while I absolutely love this movie, there were some parts that I, I keep gnawing at me. And I'm like, God, I wish they had tidied these up. One of them is just the, the, the con- you know, um, Oh, you know what? Before I do this, there is one. I do have a fourth favorite moment that I just want to put out there. I loved when they went to the. I went to uh, Avengers 2012. Uh, Tony sees the scene that we, the backside of the scene that we saw, where Loki's looking up at them, us oh, yeah. gathered around him, and then we get to see the backside of that same scene, and then the the unbelievably mundane business that occurs after that. Like, you know, we didn't get to see it as the audience the first time around, but it's like, okay, yeah, they have to escort him down and yeah, uh, they got to ride the elevator and just like all these very mechanical sort of just administrative things kind of happen. It's like, oh, that's really fun. So that's my other favorite scene. But like the things that really kind of rub me weird afterwards are just the, just the convoluted nature of the time travel story. Yeah. 
I, you know, we talked about that already. I don't want to rehash that. Something more, probably even more important and glaring to me as I was reconsidering Infinity War. Remember in that movie, Vision has the Mind Stone. Yep. And he says right out of the gate, like, look, you've, Wanda, you've got to destroy this thing right now. Let's just end this right now. And Steve Rogers goes, no, 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 that's not who we are. We don't sacrifice one yeah. person for for the good of everybody. Like, we, we don't do that. And then in this movie, they're doing it left and right. <laughs> like everybody's sacrificing somebody. And, it's like, and, and Vision wanted it to happen. It wasn't like they were forcing it on him. He volunteered. He's like, look, you got to do this. And this he, such an enormous fuck up of the first movie. And, I mean, and so, but it's like if they had just done that, which is they were all prepared to do it now. And you could argue, well, yeah, but they've learned the lesson of, of but I then then give me a little dialogue, like you know, give give me some scene with Steve where he's like, I, I wish I had listened to Vision or something like that, because it's it's it it lessens the impact of of um, of uh, Black Widow's you know Death, sacrifice. For sure. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that uh, bounces off of something. So yeah, we we just watched Game of Thrones episode three last night, the the long night, and recorded a podcast on it. So you and I have talked a shitload about all this stuff. Yeah, and <clears throat> I was sort of metagaming all the like strategy of that battle, and and then I realized this morning as I was listening back to our podcast, like actually, it's not that I wish that like a strategy would go right. You know, I understand like the strategy gets fucked up as soon as you hit the enemy, blah, blah, blah. But I want to see the characters go, oh, I, I should have done this. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you're so right. Like Steve should have said, look, we don't trade a life for life. At least that's what I thought. Yeah. But I was, wrong. you know, like vision was right. Like, and yeah, exactly. Like if your plan goes wrong, then later on confess, like it would have been so satisfying, I think in when Davos watches, sorry to go to Game of Thrones, watches the <laughs> White Walkers jump into the fire if he had gone, God damn it, there goes that plan, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And he, he could be salty it. about it too. That was his nature. Yeah. He would have been the perfect character to deliver deliver that scene. So yeah, it would, just, it would have been great to, for Steve's overall story if he's like, Vision was Vision was trying to tell us, that, you know, he was he was more of a hero than any of us. He was ready to sacrifice himself right then and there and we wouldn't let him. So we can't make that same mistake this time. Like that's all they, he would need to do have said. And it's like, holy shit. Now all of these potential deaths mean even more because they realize how wrong they are and they're ready to, to make, you know, to, to do right by vision, which by the way, he doesn't come back at all. There's no, like, you know, I thought maybe there'd be some kind of statue to him or something, you know, in Wakanda, or maybe they'd, they'd be working on his body. Um, but no, nothing. He's just it gone. Is it not Paul Bettany's voice in Old Man Jarvis? Like that's uh, with maybe they may tell. they may have done like a an ADR recording of it or something. I also didn't know that that character was in Agent Carter. So yeah, yeah. no, it may have been AD. It may have been ADR because it did kind of sound like Paul Bettany's voice. But um, I heard what I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then. Let's see what else has a yeah the five years thing the time travel the sacrifice you know that this idea that we don't we don't sacrifice one. Well, I, let me ask you this: so, not that we wanted to see any of these characters meet a vicious end, but yeah. like the Game of Thrones episode last night, I thought we were going to see more big name departures. I agree. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not glad that we didn't, but it, it is surprising exactly. nonetheless. Like I, 
what's Bucky going to do now? I don't care about Bucky. I never have. Like, get rid of that guy. Well, he's getting his own TV show. Again? Oh, seriously? He and Sam. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Winter Soldier and Hawkeye. Oh, get a, or, uh, the, the, the Falcon get a show. Man, fuck Winter Soldier. Uh, that guy is a contract killer. Um, maybe it's about his redemption. Maybe he's like a, a you know, soldier for hire on the underground. And he's trying to make... Yeah, his, make like the A team. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Oh, I know what my okay, so my other my other least favorite moment. I did not like the the logic behind Steve taking all the stones back just falls flat yeah. on its face. It, they didn't even ha- they didn't man. even give him a, a a spaceship. How the hell is he gonna get to Vormir? How the hell is he gonna get the, the power stone back the to where it needs stuff. to go? And it's even true. if he gets to Vormir, he's gonna confront the red skull again. Well, how's that gonna go? Like there's just there's so much that's like, wait yeah. a second, this that, one guy is going to do this all and, and we're just going to accept it? I, I mean, fine, but ugh. I think what I thought was going to happen there, I, I, although I, I don't remember exactly what I was thinking in the theater, but I, I think my brain had composed this idea of like, okay, I bet the remaining original Avengers each take one stone and none of them comes back. God, that'd be cool. But I that did. Would, that would match the comics too, because it, after I think in all the Infinity stuff, they you know, uh, you know whether it's the Illuminati or the Avengers, they all like they split them up, and like somebody's sort of responsible for a yeah. specific stone. That would have made way more sense. Or what does he do? Does he give the Does he give the Soul Stone back, and Black Widow just comes back? Like what is? <laughs> how does that work? I mean, there's so many questions. This weird thing you've created, Marvel. Um, you don't create more questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did appreciate that that was, <laughs> I, this sounds weird. I did appreciate that that was hand waved in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like, don't think too much about this. They got him out of time really quickly. Like there was yeah. no planning about it. You know, there could never be that moment of Hulk, like the machine not working or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because then you would have had a, another second to think about, wait, what are you doing? This is a stupid plan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Full steam ahead, guys. Don't think it. Don't overthink I, I it. I think it was all redeemed in the Sam Steve moments at the end there. Um, Did you want to have? I mean, I almost kind of feel like if they hadn't, if Steve Rogers hadn't written a note to Tony in Civil War with the phone, that when they tried to bring him back five seconds later, only his shield appears with a note and it's for Sam and Sam has to read it. I, I mean, that would have been. That would have been real, and then you just you never see Steve old. He just he's just trapped in the in the past with Peggy. Huh. I mean, I love the scene with with old Chris Evans. That was great, yeah. but I almost wonder if he hadn't written that note, if we would have gotten a, a just a you know, hey Sam, you know, here's your here's the shield, you know, be be everything I hope you can be, blah blah blah. You know, I got to I got to sound like a total dunce. What is the note you're talking about? At the end of Civil War. Tony oh, gets oh, oh. Tony gets the burner phone and it's got a note from Steve. Hey Tony, it's like you know I, I'm so sorry this happened, but if you ever need me, call me. Right. Um, you know, that that note because that it would have been exactly the same moment if if a note appeared on a shield to Sam. So it's like you don't just repeat that. But gotcha. I wonder if they hadn't used that up if that would have been. Mm. Uh, where I, I, mean, I see what you're saying. I thought it, I thought he left a note to himself when he went back. Oh, <laughs> so no, no, no. Or something. I was like, wait, what? No, that's fine. <laughs> um, I, I I wasn't it. I don't know. I was gonna add to that but i i think that had to be that fan service to people in the comics i did there was one other moment of fan service that i wondered if you saw I, correct me if one, i'm wrong there's half the oh, no, there are many. But, it, but it's specifically because you mentioned it on last week's podcast isn't there a second in endgame where thanos picks tony up and looks like he's about to rip him in half Ooh. like that happens and then he gets hit with the the hammer or something 
Wow, and I was not paying attention. Oh, my brain was like, holy shit, that's the scene Taylor described out of Thanos wins. Oh god. No, you gotta I, you gotta watch. It's in the final, final battle. So Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um I really wonder if like what a recent bit of fan service, but maybe maybe kind of put in there, you know, for people who read the Thanos book and went, Oh my god, he's gonna rip him in half. And then it doesn't you know, happen. I'm glad I did read the Thanos book before I saw yeah. saw in game because there was some parallel you could tell these Part of it is because the Thanos in the comics now is is more mirroring Josh Brolin's character. Um, but there were some, even just the the way he he said, I'm inevitable, just sort of the yeah. menacing side of him was a lot more apparent in this movie. And I like that. It was That was kind of more what the Thanos wins character was about, just this inevitable march to, to domination and being sort of the, the, the one and only in the universe. Yeah. Whoa. Well, I feel like we need to put a period on the end of this sentence too. Yeah. There's so much more we could say, but it's, I mean, I, I I don't, I want to be clear. Like I loved it. I'll see it again in the theaters for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, it it gave me everything I was looking for. You can, we will, we'll debate the technicalities for, for 10 more years. I'm sure. There's Um, just never been a, I mean, it's goes without saying, I guess, but there's never been a series of superhero movies so well done as all of these MCU movies. So yeah. it is. Yeah. Like you pointed out earlier, there are so many other absurd things that we accept. And I think, I think it's, they're sort of beyond criticism at this point. They've done it. Like they've, they could just rest on these laurels for 50 years. You know, I'm just, actually, I'm glad the movies are, and I, you know what? I, I'll, I'll see, I'll probably see far from home. Cause I'm really invested in the, uh, the MJ Peter relationship now yeah. that Zendaya is more of front and center. I, 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 I'm all, I'm a shipper hardcore for that yeah. whole thing, but, and, and Mysterio is my favorite, uh, Spider-Man, uh, rogue, but I'm kind of like, you know, I may put a pause in, in going to another MCU movie. Um, hmm. because the, the TV shows look way more interesting to me. The WandaVision series especially looks really interesting if they do it right. That may be where I sort of settle and yeah, I may see the odd movie, but I don't, I, I may be done. I mean, I'll see the X-Men movie because it's the last one. That's not MCU. I don't think that counts as MCU. No, it's yeah. not It's not an MCU movie. But it, that'll be the last sort of uh, you know superhero movie this summer I'd probably see. And then I'm probably done with the MCU just in, until something really, truly interesting comes along. If the Eternals ends up being just this mind-blowing yeah, avant-garde so thing, you know, I, I'll see it. But I don't I – don't, I think I may, I mean, I may join them. I would love to see Guardians of the Galaxy with Thor in it. I – um, if, now that if Gunn's that's directing, what, that's going to be more interesting again. So yeah, I'm it's super excited about that. I, I'm glad you brought up Far From Home because I, I you know, I kind of wish Nick Fury had bought it in some way. Like, oh yeah, I'm tired of him. He was duped by Hydra and worked for them for years. He's like a, an awful, awful character. You know, yeah. like I, I, yeah, of all the people that. <laughs> I guess he never would have brought this. It would have been great if he had been on Vormir and they sacrificed him, even knowing that they didn't actually love him. Uh, and the soul stone doesn't appear. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Oh God. <laughs> we just needed to sacrifice him somewhere. He's terrible. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't care to see him in far from home and I know he's in it. And that annoys me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily feel the same way. Cause I would definitely see, Guardians, anything with Ant-Man that comes along. I, you know, I don't care to see the original Avengers anymore, but like Falcon as Cap or Sam as Cap. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I just, um, I, I need to, I want them to do something different besides costumes with angular lines and, <laughs> and the same kind of beats. And it's, it, nothing gets it, but they've done it now. Like they've, like, I want it right. to be. It's, this needs to be a wash the hands moment of, yeah. You're going to hate me for saying this, but I want the MCU now to have its walking Phoenix Joker move, mo- moment oh. where it's like, we're just going to go in all kinds of crazy directions and, you know, follow us if you want. Well, I guess great. they're going to try out this TV experiment. I was not aware of the Bucky Cap or Bucky Sam situation. That's there's a Loki show, Loki what? through time show. Yeah, there's now, like a quantum leap Loki a, show. I would watch a Loki show if it were him as like a talk show host <laughs> on um, whatever the Jeff Goldblum planet is. Like if he were on the Garbage Planet oh interviewing people, like a like a uh, post. Uh, like, like he's the, the, the wrestling game after show. So when they, they have a fight in the the stadium and then they come up and talk to Loki, you know, afterwards, that would be great. How amazing. (laughs) Cause then, I mean, that could be super low budget. Hiddleston could just be on a soundstage somewhere. He wouldn't have to even be on location. He could just treat it like a, a day job. God, that'd be fun. Yeah, I would. Yeah. When the hat with the horn, the no, but they're doing a, and it's probably now that he has the tesseract, it makes more sense. But they're going to do like a Loki through time, like at, at these pivotal moments in time where he's sort of the the hero of his own story. That's what I've read with Hiddleston. Yeah, yeah. they're paying all these guys movie money to do these shows. Buku, yeah, for I, that is a, that is a, a a weirder experiment to me than the the crazy idea of let's see if we can do ten years of MCU movies. <laughs> Yeah, Let's maybe they'll if, do ten years of, of D plus shows. Like, I don't know, but maybe they're going to do them like the Star Wars thing, and it's very limited, or like the Mandalorian, where it's like, hey, there's just six episodes. That's what one division is going to be. It's going to be six. Okay. Yeah, same thing. Great. Yeah, no. Oh God, no Flash twenty five episodes to a season or whatever. Like yeah, none no. of that shit. No, no, I wouldn't. I, I do not have the patience for that. I want nice, oh, compact God. storytelling. Which, by the way, the the fault of the Netflix. Uh, defenders shows or that they were all four episodes too long. It's like they were all uh, 10 yeah. or 12 and they should have been six or seven. And so yeah. look, the D plus in, in some cases there were six or eight episodes too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should wrap this up. Where can Please. people find us? <laughs> uh, wherever, wherever you find podcasts, if you're look, listening to this on our stream, search for and subscribe to panelism on Pocket Cast, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all those good places. And if you haven't yet, find all our past episodes on panelism.inc. That's panelism.inc. And if you're listening to us uh, and you've never been to our Instagram account, that is also panelism.inc. We post all kinds of cool stuff, uh, comics, panels, book reviews, cool art, everything else. Go and follow us there. And one more plug, Ola. We have a sister show called Wednesday in Westeros, which is nearing its end uh three more episodes left so if you like game of thrones and you want to hear about it or talk of you know hear people talk about it the very next day we put it out on mondays uh for the duration of this season so go google or so search for wednesday in westeros wherever you find podcasts i'm out of things to promote i'm glad you plugged uh westeros that was what i was gonna do but now i don't have to do that i can just say uh we are panelism and we are inevitable